What's up, everybody? This is Grant, the Cause Artist. Today, we're going to do things a little differently. Uh, we are chatting with a recording artist, uh, pop singer, Mackenzie Nicole. Um, and usually, we do talk to business founders and CEOs about um, how they're disrupting the industries that they're in. Um, but today is a little interesting because I had the great opportunity to go visit Mackenzie at the Strange Music headquarters here in Kansas City to really talk about you know, mental illness and you know, the way she is uh, using music and using her platform to speak about mental illness, um, what she went through, what others may be going through, and, and how she can use what, what she was gifted at and, and really give it to the world in a positive way. Um, she's only 19 years old, but I mean, she is uber talented super smart and the conversation was was amazing she is has an opportunity a great opportunity to disrupt the industry that has been manufactured for a while and that is the pop music industry it's a great conversation about how you can use your talents and finding your purpose and putting your all into it hers happens to just be music you know she was born into uh, strange music which her dad is the founder of and, and, dis- and, a, and a real real disruptor himself. Him along with Tech 9 his co-founder of Strange Music, is an independent uh, hip-hop label here in Kansas City. And if anybody doesn't know who they are, I, I would encourage you to look them up and, and read about their journey of building up an independent hip-hop label over the past two decades and, and do it unlike anybody else has done it before. So she comes from, you know, a lineage of disruptors, so to speak, and the ability to to look at a, a certain industry and change it and turn it on its back. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. It, it was really great. And I see an unbelievably bright future for Mackenzie. She just has everything um, set up for her to to be an amazing artist and, and do some amazing things in the world and, and, and impact lives. Yeah, we were talking, kind of talking before about, you know, how your dad disrupted an industry, right? And kind of, Thank kind of you. looked at looked at the music label model and said there, there could be a better way. Yeah. And, I, and I was, as I was reading a lot of stuff about kind of how you came up and, and what you're trying to do, it's you're kind of, you maybe not directly trying to do it, but you're kind of trying to disrupt pop music in a way, right? Thank of, you, of yeah. how it traditionally was formed, right? It, yeah. It's kind of like, hey, you have to have your hair like this. You have to work with this producer, materialize everything. And so I, I just, I want to know how, how did you look at maybe your dad and looked at what he, he kind of built? Yeah, the thing for me is this. Um, when I was brought up doing music, um, my first recorded feature was at nine years old, the Tech Nine and Three Six Mafia. Mm-hmm. So I was going to take an unconventional route no matter what. Right. For me, as I continued to do features with my label mates, I got to uh, do this wide range of music from everyone from Recognize of Mayday to Prozac to my label mates, Tech and Chris Calico. Um, so there's already a range established there. And so when it came time to do my album, you know, I tried to do the conventional pop route for this last album, you know, work with the right ingredients to create a conventional pop album that was very by the book. I feel like we succeeded at that, but really where my passion lies is in creating genreless music that is going Mm -hmm. to, again, transcend and defy what a genre is. And that's what I feel like I did with Complications and then this next Project Mystic, which comes out this year, um, which I'm really excited about because I think that the pop effort was never truly satisfying to me and therefore the last album was never truly satisfying to me. Um, Whereas I get to evolve into what I truly am as an artist now that I have full creative control. And I'm really excited about that because like I you know, like you said, I'm very much a typical package of blonde hair, blue eyed pop artist. <laughs> and um, despite that, I want to grow past that. Right. So growing up, it had to be 
you have all these type of different artists too. I mean, even if it, it, it's a rap label, but there's artists kind of doing singing stuff and kind of doing rap and doing a bunch of different things and, and Tech himself kind of created his own different genre, right? Yeah. So you kind of had all these different dynamics growing up and assessing everything and, and everything like that. So, yeah. But you also have a background in, in opera, right? And yeah. Kind of doing classical stuff. Yeah. So this blend has to just kind of is going to create something that doesn't sound like anything else. Yeah, I always joke that I'm an opera singer trying to uh, do pop music on a rap <laughs> label inspired by a rock band, right? Um, so I have a lot of different lenses through which I'm filtering um, what I'm doing because obviously um, I'm here to spearhead the pop division or, you know, more of an al- right now I'm going in a more alternative pop direction um, with this next project. But also I was born and raised into this rap label and I've been doing opera since I was six, 13 mm-hmm. years now, which is bizarre. Right. Um, so there's just, like you said, a lot of different elements at work, which has given me a really unique opportunity because I feel like everyone here is very much inspired by a variety of things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a text, one of Tech's biggest inspirations is The Doors, you right. know? He's the only artist with a song featuring The Doors and not just members of The Doors, which is right. remarkable. My producer, Seven, is everything inspires him. He will listen to the craziest, most underground stuff or the most mainstream stuff and come up with a remarkable production based around this, like, series of, like, I can send him anything from any genre and he will somehow compile, like, make a amalgamation of this into like a spectacular beat Um, so like everyone around me kind of operates in that mode of let me combine everything I know Mm -hmm. and like I said before defy what genre is and just create good music Mm -hmm. and that was really what we did for this next project is me and Seven got in a room and said let's just make good music and not concern ourselves with anything else genres can like music evolves it seems like genres will evolve too Yeah. just because we're at a time and you kind of grew up you're the first generation to come out of social media, yeah. right? And kind of having your life on display. It's not what a lot of people at the label had to deal with, like when they were coming yeah. up, right? They were trying to get more people to, traveling and trying to get more people to listen to them, but where it's like you have a direct access to, to a lot of people, but they, on the other side, have a direct access to you, right? Yeah. So a, there can be a lot of negative energy that comes from that. Yeah. And then that can create different kinds of music because mentally you might be in a different spot than any type of artist was before because you're dealing with all this, this, this the, other stuff. The accessibility, you know, I, I say frequently that there are no superstars and there are no celebrities anymore mm. because superstars are supposed to be something you can't touch. And right, right now you have access to every um, facet of your celebrities' lives. Right. And I think that there's blessings and curses in that, right? Because it's improved music discoverability, yeah. which is amazing. You know, mm. there are artists who I would never have connected with and artists who I'm now friends with through social media um, who are completely underground meanwhile there's also you know like you said that potential for criticism that just wasn't there before in a very scathing way and so I I think it'll be interesting to watch how my generation and following generations um, develop in a time when you know there really is no such thing as categories anymore because there's such expansive ability to create Mm -hmm. you know um, and be inspired by whatever and not have to worry about what you're going to be classified as in the you know aisles of the record store you know <laughs> and not to not to slam you know previous conventions at which i've wholeheartedly support and I wish physical was still around right, right. Um, but I think that our technological age it's it's given people like Young Thug and Lil Nas X the ability to make country trap you know what I mean sure. like yeah, yeah. which I don't think they could, I don't genre. think you can do <laughs> in the world we lived in previously so I think that there are a ton of opportunities we just got to be careful of the potential pitfalls you know yeah when um, when you do the 
the creative process. How does that how does that start for you? Do you do you start with the music first? Because a lot of artists might just have a notebook, right? And they just yeah. write songs. Um, others kind of just listen to music and they write off the music, right? So do you kind of do both, or do you step in and say, "I'm just gonna write," and then we'll have music to this? A little bit of both. Um, I uh, mainly what I do is I have my producer send me a beat and then mm-hmm. I write around it based on what yeah. that beat inspires me to say. But also like throughout notebooks and scraps of paper on my phone, I have like lines or choruses or paragraphs written of things that I will eventually use and turn mm-hmm. into songs. So it's a little bit of this, uh, I'll reuse what I used earlier, like when I was referencing music, an amalgamation of many mm-hmm. different phrases I've that have come to me over the last couple years or just recently um, combined with whatever I was inspired by with the beat, you know? Um, I can think of two separate instances on the album where I did totally opposite things. Um, There was one instance where Seven sent me a beat and I had had the name of my phone or the phrase of my phone saved as a cut rose in tap water. And Mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to use that phrase as the title for the song Mm -hmm. as soon as I heard that beat. Whereas conversely I had another experience where Seven sent me a beat that was pre-named Pick Out a Cloud Mm -hmm. and I knew immediately that has to stay the name of the song based on how the beat sounds Mm -hmm. and so it really is a uh, circumstantial thing depending on what the beat is but mainly what I do is I take the beat I blare it in my car and I write while I'm sitting in the driveway of the studio right yeah thank you the uh going back to genres for a second is because your background is a bit classical right that the opera references yeah do you ever find a place that maybe you can create something like a like an opera pop type of of single or a different genre where you can kind of create music that, like we said before, country trap, like that's not a term that existed ever yeah. right, before <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, a year ago, right? So, I mean, there, there's ways maybe you can incorporate classical stuff into a pop or sort of hip hop genre. I uh, am really fortunate to have uh, done this before where I've had Tech or Prozac come to me and say, hey, listen, I need opera on the hook of this rap song. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to do that. And now I have this really cool experience where I get to take on my next album. There's one track in particular. um, It's called The House Above the World that has operatic influence, but it is a like more alternative pop song. Mm -hmm. And so 100%, you know, opera was my greatest blessing because it gave me the ability to learn all the rules and learn how to do everything technically correct Mm -hmm. and perfectly so I could break them later on and become imperfect through experimentation which has been a really great constructive experience because it's given me layers of depth to uh my music and my technique that i don't think i would have had otherwise so what i was reading is is that you can sing opera in six different languages about yeah i'm trying to think of all of them i've done i've done italian english obviously so i think spanish russian german and a couple other latin um it's really we've done a lot <laughs> so it's really cool so, so you could do you could do like a russian opera pop song if you wanted to if i wanted to i think i could <laughs> you control those charts right That's why not too many people yeah exactly <laughs> i think i have a monopoly on that space in music right now <laughs> um uh the the one thing that that sometimes can be a little bit difficult to talk about it is kind of you know, when, when we go, as human beings, as we, we kind of go through creativity mm-hmm. ourselves and how we, we, we put that to the world, it, it can come from a place that, that might have, have been a little dark, right? It yeah. Might have, you might have been in a time in your life. Unfortunately, you know, dark things sometimes can create beautiful things, yeah. right? And that's a, that's a tough thing to, to write down, but I think it's healthy. You know, from a creative mind, it's healthy to kind of write down these things that happen in our lives. 
but there's also you know you, you might be afraid to say a bunch of these things right like yeah. oh man this was a time in my life where i dealt with this and this and you might not want to say that to people but do you find that that is is a healthy way to to do things when you're feeling a certain way and put it down on paper and even put it in a song does that does that feel like that that helps therapeutic yeah so you know i always say that the thing that shocked me most about entering this career was uh how dark songwriting is because first of all you have to acknowledge your feelings which if you're a suppressive person like i am then that's extremely difficult then you have to articulate your feelings Mm -hmm. and that's more difficult because oh my god words are just approximations of things how do i approximate what i'm feeling and then you have to say them out loud and listen to your own voice, say things that may not be pleasant about yourself and about how you feel. Then you have to let other people listen to them. And then you have to monetize other people listening to them (laughs) and sell that. So you're literally selling pieces of your soul to people and that can be grueling. Um, But at the same time, like it's incredibly cathartic, you know, I, uh, you know, the source of mystic, it's all about stages of mental health and my own journeys in mental health and wellness and sometimes unwell this um and you know to get intensely personal here for a second um i had a period last year um from about january to june it was six months the worst time of my life i went through a mental breakdown that was extremely severe and i was had plans to kill myself and it was just it was horrible Mm -hmm. and thus when it came to i thankfully i had one of my best friends who dragged me to his psychiatrist i got medicated diagnosed best thing that ever happened to me and now i'm better i'm better um i uh then fall came right and i I had this option to make my second project and I thought what could I make it about other than what I just went course, through right. and as I was uh, writing this album recording this album there were times where I was just crying in the booth recording it um, and that was the most like cleansing experience ever like getting to write down and then articulate like I, I keep using the word articulate because it's so integral to what we're doing right mm-hmm. um, what I was feeling what I went through was a changing thing because suddenly like it had parameters it had boundaries it wasn't this you know unrestable monster that was right. made of smoke that I couldn't land a punch you know mm-hmm. it's suddenly this thing that I can quantify right. and my experiences are as as few as words Mm -hmm. and then to uh finally sit and listen to the finished product you know my album's in three chapters right it's in uh the first four songs are a dark chapter it's about being at rock bottom Mm -hmm. the next four songs are transitional it's about trying to self-correct and the last four songs are about being on the other side of that whatever that means Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and through that i realized there was such character development in myself from song one to song 12 and i suddenly realized how far i'd come and so that was incredibly cathartic what's uh when when you kind of i i mean there look there's probably tons of of, of root causes to to maybe that you know that six month period that was that was was devastating but when when you talk to maybe like your other i mean obviously having important friends like that right that that is are brave enough yeah right because a lot of people you know, you might have a lot of yes people around you, right? And they kind of, you know, they don't they don't really look at like stuff like that and say, hey, you need to get healthy this way, right? Yeah. Not not self medicate, right? Yeah. Or, or another way. <laughs> yeah. You so that that friend is important, but 
for people in my who who don't have that right that's a that might be a blessing and yeah. it's only just have somebody like that in your life that would take take that and say i'll risk losing you as a friend for me to tell you this absolutely you know i had a lot of enablers not intentional enablers sure. but a lot of enablers in my life at that point and it's so easy to unwittingly enable someone's behavior and that's something that i've talked about with my therapist a lot and Thankfully, two of my best friends, they're married to each other now. I had and one of the songs on my album is about them. Mm. I uh, when I was going through all this, I repeatedly would find myself in this devastated state. Right. And I would call them and be like, hey, can I come over tonight? Mm-hmm. And through the series of me calling and coming over and staying for as long as I wanted to, um, because that was the open door policy they had with me. Right. And they say, you know, I know you're going through something right now. I'm not sure what it is, but it's right. clear that you're going through something. So stay the weekend, stay the week, whatever is going to make you feel happy or feel better better at least and I found that over time as they grew to understand if not understand but at least be aware that something was going on um I think it was in probably like February that my friend Austin said hey listen my psychiatrist could really help you mm-hmm. and I don't think I yeah I didn't go until June so it was several months of him like just fighting tooth and nail to get me in the door and I'm really thankful for that but I recognize so many people don't have that and don't have an Austin in their lives who's gonna say you know you need to see my psychiatrist here I'll get I'll refer you get in there and for that like I that's horrible like that is something that like I wish I knew the answer to how to help people because I thought I was fine that's the thing. At the time, like, I look back on it and realize it was the worst period of my life now. But at the time, I thought I was fine. I knew that I was having this breakdown, right? I knew everything was horrible. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think I was the problem. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that I had something wrong with me. I thought it was everything else in my life that, that was wrong. Yeah, so, I th- something yeah. Something else had to be fixed. Not exactly. Me. Exactly. <laughs> and I uh, I really pity people um, who aren't fortunate enough to have someone saying, hey, listen, you need to get help. Because mm-hmm. that is so key. And I don't think that self-awareness is... I think mental illness stunts self-awareness, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, I think the, the, oh, the one thing that everybody does have, right, is internally they know or they feel what their passion is, right? Mm-hmm. So even even if you didn't have, you know, that friend and, you know, that happened and you got to be able to go through a therapeutic sessions, you still had kind of music there yeah, to be some sort of an outlet, right? Eventually yeah. creativity, or finding a passion in something, whether it's painting or whether yeah. it's designing, right? There, there's any, there's all kind of different passionate outlets we could take. So, I mean, look, obviously we don't have to get into what, what went on in therapy and stuff, but did music ever come up as a positive part of your life? And, and in therapy, we're like, use, the, use your music as a way to, to heal yourself. It actually was uh, really interesting because at the time I uh, was only pushing my last album, which at the time, like my last album, like I said before, was just an exercise in seeing what I could do in pop music. Sure. But it wasn't really an outlet for me. Like it, it wasn't that album was not therapeutic. That album didn't um, make me learn about myself as a person or anything like that. So at the time I thought, you know, what do I? Uh, I don't. Music isn't therapy to me. Like I thought, this isn't. This is this is my job, and right. I love music, but I don't understand. There's no outlet there I just enjoy making it and it wasn't until after that I realized how changing music could be for me and how it could in fact be that outlet and be that therapy I uh 
it was my therapist, actually, it's funny you bring that up, who pointed out, like, you, why don't you, you work in the arts? Why don't you channel what you went through into your art? Right. And that was a large part of what went into my mindset going into this next album, thinking, I need to talk about what I went through. It was because mm-hmm. she had kind of pushed me in the direction of, you have the most obvious outlet right here. Totally. It's what you do every day. Totally. Yeah. It's a, it's a such an important point because I think, you know, what, what music can do or, or what I think it tries to do as artists, you try to inspire people to find something in their life that means as much to them as, as music might mean to you. Yeah. Right. So I think creativity and the arts, it's there, it's, it's in us all somewhere, whether it's, it, like I said, whether it's music, whether it's painting, whether it's dancing, mm-hmm. whether it's designing, whether it's building or architecture, right? Whatever it can be, we all have a passion inside of us to do something that we're sort of meant to do, and it mentally stabilizes us. Yeah. Right? Like, I truly believe that once you find your creative outlet in life, your mental wellness can become something that you never thought could be right could happen absolutely i um i think i don't think i know because it's been proven (laughs) um that the key to happiness in life is having something that makes you feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think for me um that is my work in music whether it be the actual creative side whether it be uh, on the business side of executive production production and um all of the uh, clerical desk work that goes into that. Sure. <laughs> um, and between that and, you know, I've figured out that the things that make me happy are working in music, getting to create, um, getting to be on the business side and figure out all the executive work that goes into making an album because sure. it keeps both sides of my brain going, right? And then my free time, I volunteer at a mm-hmm. women's domestic violence crisis compound. Um, and, like, those are the, th- like, three things that are, like, the trifecta of keeping me good. Totally. You know, and I think that it's important to everyone to figure out that thing because, like, my, uh, my hobby back then was being miserable like that was get a hobby that's like that's crazy, the, yeah. that's the biggest advice i have like find something i don't care if it's working out i don't care if it's like yeah. the arts the sciences like yeah. figure out something that at least keeps you busy and if you may not love it at first but if it keeps you busy that's the first step you know keeps your mind working exactly what's uh what has the experience at the uh the women's shelter what is what has that done for you and and you know, have have you learned a lot from that? What knowledge have you gained? But also, what what are you able to? You know, giving your time is is a huge thing. I right? love it. So, what 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 have you gotten out of that? First of all, that is probably the most gratifying thing I do. I love working there. I love the women. I love the staff. I'd say that it was a huge education in other people's lives because I think that one of the keys to life, um, and I say this so much, especially in regards to this album, is a uh, understanding self and understanding others. Others, and then you're right. then you're good you're set for being a human being you yeah. know and I first started out because my high school St. Teresa's Academy which was an amazing experience I had a fantastic school um, did this thing is for juniors and seniors where you take a week off school and you volunteer at an organization of your choice okay. and so when it came time to volunteer I looked through all the options right and it was like daycares hospitals and hospices and I was like 
that is rough. Yeah. Because <laughs> like I'm not about I'm not about to watch kids all day. Yeah. I'm not about uh, being with the dying all day. And yeah. medical stuff freaks me out deeply. Sure. So like I can barely watch House. Like I have to fast forward through the medical scenes. <laughs> um. And so I thought, oh God, like what am I gonna do? And at the very bottom of the list, there was one organization that was dedicated to sheltering women from domestic violence mm. and women and children. And I thought this clicks with me. I get it. And then I volunteered there and I started out just like cleaning, watching the kids, um, helping residents. I was translating for the Spanish speaking residents to the staff. Um, and then I found I'm really good in the kitchen. Like for some reason, like I'm really good at turning a meal for 50 people into a meal for 150 people. Like it's just, (laughs) that happens to be like my special talent. And so they ended up giving me like a permanent position working in the kitchen with them. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the head of the kitchen, Amanda always jokes, like if music doesn't work out for you, like you got a guaranteed job here. (laughs) And it's been really cool because in that position, like you get to really, this sounds probably cheesy, but something that is vital to people, which is you eat every day. You get to provide that for people. And through that, you get to communicate with them, even if it's just like as you're serving them food as they're running through the lunch line or as you're taking food to the room because they have like six kids and they can't carry it all for themselves. Um, You get to talk to people who have a vastly different background and you're a vastly different experience than you. And they share their successes and their traumas with you. And you can do the same with them and you can relate to them. And these are people who you otherwise would not have met and would not have connected with. And some people, you know, there's some guests I've connected to because we sing together as they're going through the lunch line. It's very sweet. Um, Other people, because, you know, I hang out with their kids when I'm not cooking, you know, and I've just, it's taught me such compassion and such, you know, capacity for care. Mm -hmm. And I'm not very, you know, I, though I take care, though I'm usually the one taking care of other people, like in my friend groups and my social situations and at work, um, I don't have much like maternal instinct. Like that's just not who I am. And so being in a like caretaker position in that capacity where it really is, like I said, about compassion and care um, was very new to me. And it's really taught me a lot about how to be a human being. I think it's an it's an important thing thing because what it does is it it also benefits your music like most likely right because yeah. you're experiencing different things and your brain's working in a different way and you're listening to these different stories from yeah. all these different women right and all these different these different human beings telling you uh, about their circumstances and that has to sort of bleed into the music somehow eventually yeah, what that reminds me of is one of the biggest songs that I can remember from when I was younger um, was Ed Sheeran's A-Team. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone yeah. knows Ed Sheeran's <laughs> A-Team. And, and now this may be unverified, but the story I heard um, about the origins of that song after I was reading up on it was that that was inspired by a drug addict he met in a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, and he's telling that person's story. Right. And there's a my, label mate Prozac, his, except for like one album, his entire discography has been based on telling other people's stories yeah. not his own Great point. and I absolutely love that art as a storyteller and as an artist because there you know you write what you know but there is a limit to what you know sure like I especially early in my career felt that limitation heavily because I what did I went through at 16 besides mm-hmm. you know no one wants to hear about like my desk job at a rap label like it's right. cool to an extent but like no one wants to hear me sing about it so like <laughs> the day is long yeah exactly long like near. love my cubicle um but you know like so i think that exactly like exposure to other people like i always say how to be a human being how to be a human being is what keeps you humane yeah and it it's it's important to 
to live life because that your 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 music is only gonna be as good as how you live, mm-hmm. right? And you're you're doing amazing things at a young age. Thank you. To prepare yourself for recording something that could inspire or change someone's life, right? It might not be you know this certain song, it might not be this certain album, but all the stuff is leading up to. When that one thing, it all might come together in such a beautiful way that, you know, you could potentially change someone's life. And I know that's, look, you're, yeah. it's young, that's a lot to take on somebody, right? Yeah. But, like, that's what music can do. That's what music has done yeah. historically. It's, it's crazy that you mentioned that because I think what you bring to mind two specific instances. First, I was 16 or 17, and I was at a show. I only released two singles. Mm-hmm. And... I was at the merch booth before my set and this girl run up, runs up on me and she says, hey, are you Mackenzie? I said, yes. And she's like, I just wanted you to know your music saved my life. Mm. And I was like, I have two singles out. Like, how is that even possible? Right. And she said it's so matter of fact, like mm. it was just a fact of her life. And I was just amazed. I was stunned. And I like, I brought tears to my eyes because I was like, how does that happen? Like how, right. um, because like, and, but music is that powerful. Um, I think of another fan um, named Melissa in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I probably shouldn't say her. I probably shouldn't put her sure, on blast like sure, that. Sure. Um, she won't mind because she's probably wonderful. A lot of yeah, like that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, she's absolutely wonderful. And every time I see her, she writes me these like ten-page letters about like the different, uh, like how the different songs have impacted her and how they've like just made her like connect with different parts of her life and it's like changing for me she's like i'm very close with her actually um you see sometimes i have this necklace it's a crybaby necklace that's mm-hmm. crybaby on it and i got that from her because uh it was actually during that period of my life last year um we have this weird connection now because i had complimented that necklace on her at a meet and greet in october she comes up to me and probably may at yeah may in denver and says hey i i have something for you and mm-hmm. she hands me a box has several things in it but among them is the necklace and it said crybaby and it was so changing for me in that period of my life because i was going through so much and it was very humbling because i thought like that's me like i'm a crybaby right now like <laughs> that is that's what i'm going through and so i wear that to remind myself to be grateful now mm-hmm. and so like it's it not only have i like have i like quote unquote changed other people's eyes but they change me every day Totally. Um, I have friends that I've made through like there's a girl I'm very close with now um, who runs a fan page of mine that I met her through her running that fan page and now we're like super close friends um, cool. it's really cool and there's a song uh, I did with Prozac who keeps coming up in this interview which is really cool <laughs> I, I love him he's like one of my besties on the label um, who uh it was called These Hands, and it's about how people will say that you've changed my life or your music has touched me, but in reality, it's you guys who are changing mm-hmm. our lives. Yeah. And I think that's so important to remember as a consumer of music. Like, obviously, like, you're the reason we have a career and you're the reason why we uh, feed our families, etc. Yeah. Um, but moreover, like, you're what, you know, if there were no one to listen and give us feedback, then what sure. would this be? You know, I, music, like, you we keep calling it is therapy, but you need a therapist and that's the people mm-hmm. listening and to keep yeah. responding to you. And being being so young, it's I know it's kind of hard to maybe look down the road a little bit, but you know, as as you mature as a person and an artist, you know, and and, and twenty years from now, what what do you what do you want to look back on and say, okay, I, this is what I accomplished and this is what you know I gave to the world. What, what, what would that what would in a dream scenario? What would that be for right now? That's so hard. Yep. Um, yeah, that's so difficult, especially because like. Honestly, like, not to get dark, but the first time I remember um, contemplating suicide, I was six years old. Mm-hmm. 
And so until love was 18, um, that was the mindset I lived in. So I never really bet on being here long enough to have long-term mm-hmm. goals. And so that being said, this whole like long-term goal thing is a little new for me now. Right. Um, I always say that I feel like I'm living on borrowed time because I barely cheated death not a year ago. Mm-hmm. And now I'm here and I got to be grateful for every second that I have because like you never know when that table may turn again and I'm back there. You know, mm-hmm. you never know when that relapse happens. And so um, that being said, now that I'm uh, getting used to the idea of long-term goals um my big thing is i want to i have so many plans now for albums i want to do for music i want to release for art i want to make and my big thing is that i want to look back and know that i was um myself because i've tried being i've tried doing music for other people Mm. and i uh or for a on principles that weren't mine and I'm cool on that Mm -hmm. and now it's about um, representing myself and what I feel and what I'm doing 100% and making sure that my confidence in what I've done is bulletproof and this represents me and I hope that that helps other people too I hope that other people connect with it too but this may sound selfish but my main priority is making sure that it works with me and who I am but that's gotta be liberating too because not many artists get to make the music they want to make exactly that's that's a huge advantage mentally but both on the music side too because then you're able to create stuff that people haven't created before yeah right if you're a lot of these artists are kind of put in this box and and packaged in a certain way then all of a sudden you know they're on their fifth album maybe right if they even make it that long but they haven't even made anything they wanted to make they're just regurgitating the same thing right? i'm so grateful not to be there because like it's a slippery slope first you first you're taking input on you know well maybe you should work in this direction then you're like working with people who are you know abrasive and forcing that on you and then you realize you release something that you don't love like this happens to so many people mm-hmm. and then you have to promote something you don't love and then your spirit's defeated so you end up doing it again like it's it's the number one self-destructive behavior in artists is complying to other people's visions i really believe that What's the plan for this album as far as releasing it and then probably a tour, all these different things, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you mentally get prepared for or something like that. You know, this is a trying, trying album because it is about something that's so personal and so dark um, in many ways. And it has its, you know, it has its light moments, right? Sure. But it is an entirely um, incredibly introspective record um, where I thought, oh God, like now that I've recorded this, this is going to have to be my life for the next, especially for the next two years, but yeah. for the rest of my life, every time I promote this album, I'm sure. going to have to go back to that place, right? So mentally like putting on my like bulletproof vest like I keep referencing and trying to be absolutely like put on my blinders to what I am uh, gonna have to delve into mm-hmm. emotionally has been super huge and having a good support system there to uh, catch me if I fall right, right. Um, but also like I have this fantastic uh, opportunity right where my label lets me be the co-executive producer on my project mm-hmm. and lets me be behind the marketing on my project mm-hmm. and behind the visuals etc um, where I'm really amped up for a really ambitious concept album because that's what this is. Mm -hmm. And I have a very, I can't say much, but I have a very unique and amazing opportunity with these visuals that will make sense soon that I'm so incredibly excited for and that I'm so uh, fortunate to get to do as an artist. And I would love to tour this album. I'm actually, uh, I have a couple tour dates um, this spring in Denver and Kansas City where I am actually playing two new songs off of this record. Mm -hmm. And getting to uh, gauge people's reactions is going to be like, 
life-changing for me because this is such a, like I said, life-changing record. And so it's really just a lot of like mental preparation, so many fronts, right? Figuring out how to not get in that dark place when you're talking about that dark place, figuring out how to make all this, like like I said, this ambitious project work and figuring out how to make it sustain itself. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes, like a bunch of years turning in my head right now, but it's all wonderful, right? Because if I weren't doing this, I'd be doing something I don't want to do, which is someone else's work.